0: Be dazzled this holiday season by Northern Virginia's largest drive through light show at Bull Run Festival of Lights. Celebrate the holidays as a family while staying warm and cozy. Drive the festival route from the comfort of your car. Turn off your headlights and just follow the magical glow through two and a half miles of dazzling displays in Bull Run Regional Park in Centerville, Virginia. Plan your visit now. When you visit by mid-December, you'll save. Get your tickets today at BullRunFestivalOfLights.com. That's BullRunFestivalOfLights.com.
1: When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA Safe Pilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA Safe Pilot. Restrictions apply. Well, praise the Lord. You are now listening to Session 3 in our premarital series. Before you say, I do, you're here with Bishop Foreman. And in Session 3, we are going to talk about the marriage. We've covered Sessions 1 and 2, dating, intro into the covenant, as well as Session 2, knowing the other half. And now we are in Session 3, which is going to talk about The marriage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those that are listening. Father, I pray that you would open up their ears, that they'd be receptive to hear what it is that you're speaking today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I hope that these uh, CDs are being a blessing to you so far. Again, I just want to give you a couple of things up front. That's these CDs are designed to be a uncensored uh, version and uh, version of, uh, of premarital teaching for you. And uh, and so something to be very direct, something that you can use, something that you can refer to time and time and time again. So even if you all decide to proceed uh, with your marriage, even in your marriage, these are CDs that you can refer back to because these these teachings will help you to build your relationship on that foundation, which is Christ Jesus. And I've been talking about that a lot, uh, building on the right foundation. And what foundation do you build on? And I want us to look at the foundation that we're to build that on. Now, we got to understand that God is love. We understand that from uh, uh, from the scriptures that God is love. Uh, He is love. He is love. Say it with me, God is love. So if God is love, if we build our relationships off of a right understanding of what love is, then we are building our relationships off of God. Here's the deal, though. Again, we've got to get a crystal clear understanding of what love is. What love is. And I want you to flip over to 1 Corinthians 13 with me so we can take a look at this. Now, I also want to say, for session number three, this is the opportunity where you're going to take that credit report that you got. You're going to want to take that particular uh, report. You're going to also want to bring together all of the bills, uh, all of the bills that each individual has. You're going to build, bring that together at this particular point in time. Don't mix them up. And don't exchange anything. Um, uh, man, hold on to yours, and woman, hold on to yours. And then we're going to get to those in just a moment. And I'm going to explain to you uh, how that sort of fits in to the actual marriage. So we're going to cover a few pieces in this session, uh, uh, mostly from Scripture. We cover a few pieces in this uh, in this session that's going to help you to actually understand what needs to happen um, during the context of the marriage. But quite frankly, what needs to happen before then, because if we don't get the good understanding of these things now, I'm guaranteeing you, you will not have a good understanding of these things in a committed marriage relationship. Now, let's go to First Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of man on verse one here. And angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So in other words, he said, you're just a loud mess. You're just a mess. It's just clanging. Uh, It it has no no defined sound to it. Uh, It's just sounding. Okay. Two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries of all faith, and through all I have all faith, I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. Why? Because we can do things without God. See, people think that uh, God's gifts are repentance, or with repentance. That's not true. God's gifts are without repentance. So if God's gifted you to do some things, you'll be able to operate in those things, and even without the anointing of God. Because again, remember, God is love. So it says, but have not love, I am nothing. Well, have not God, I am nothing. Three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, here's what we find love is. And this is what you need to understand. If you're saying, I love this person, this is what you are agreeing to do right here. If you say, I'm in love with you, because people say, well, there's a different thing, love and being in love. Well, not not from a scriptural perspective. Um, you find that people have great love uh, for one another there's just varying uh, varying relationships that that love plays out in the love I have for my spiritual sons and daughters uh, would be a different love that I would have for a wife uh, and that would be a different love than I would have for children it'd be different simply because the relationship's different but people well you know I love them but I'm not in love with them well that ain't uh, I have not found any scripture. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm not finding it. I've not found any scripture or any scriptural um, context that says that there's a such difference between love and being in love. So if you say you love anyone, these are the things that you're saying to that person. And so don't use love uh, lightly. Don't use it. Don't take it as something easily. When you say you love someone, here's what you're agreeing to. What you're really saying is I got you. I have the God kind of love towards you. And let's look at this. 13 um, and four. love suffers long. That means love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. So let me just take these before we start getting into it. Let me just break it down. Love is patient. That means you say you love someone. That means you're going to be patient with them. Even when things are not going well. If you say you love them, that means I'm going to be patient with you until you get your stuff together. And even if that takes you a little while, I'm going to be patient with you because I've made a decision to love you. I've made a decision to be patient with you. Uh, Love does not... uh, Love is kind. So you can't say, I love you. I just... This is how I show my love. No. If you're mean... And you're talking about you love somebody you're a liar you, you do not love them and that's not how you show love love is kind that means you're, that means that you are sensitive to the needs of people thats so that's really what kindness is is that you're just sensitive to the needs of people now some people they do receive love on and a more you know generally speaking men will receive love in a more masculine uh, kind of way and so men you know hey god bless you brother hey i love you man you know that kind of a thing and a woman may be teared up and 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 emotional and all that and again these are generalizations so the 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 kind of kindness that you show is dependent on a relationship but again you cannot say well that's just how we show our love we cuss each other out oh that's crazy that's dysfunctional that's weird you need to not do that all right love does not envy uh, it is not envious. That's The Lord does not parade itself. In other words, well, I love you, and that's the only reason I'm still here. I would have left you five years ago had I not loved you. You are parading yourself. You are parading love. You are making a spectacle of love. Love should never be paraded. Love should never be, well, you know, if I didn't love y'all, I would be gone. That's not true love because now you are parading it, and you are trying to make someone be guilty because you love them. Next, it is not puffed up, Uh, 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 and really there, it really means it it keeps uh, 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 and deals with, uh, it's not arrogant, love is not arrogant, love doesn't walk around with its chest stuck out, talking about how great it is, all right? Uh, It does not behave rudely. We've talked about that. It does not seek its own. In other words, love is always seeking for the greater good of a relationship, not just for the greater good of one individual. And so that goes for anything. You know, some people always get in these one-sided love relationships where they take, 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 and they're never giving anything back. And that's not true godly love. Because true godly love, understand this, is that love does not seek its own. Next thing, it's not provoked. That love is not provoked. You can't you can't work that love of people when you push my buttons, you push my buttons. Here's the deal. When you are walking in the fullest degree of love, you will learn how to control your buttons. And then that's a process. I want to be very direct about that. That's a process. It doesn't mean we're we're all on a journey. Being transformed to be like Christ. So does that mean that if you you know if you sometimes you know in a relationship the couples know the right things to say, uh, you know a woman will say, well yeah, well when I dated your ex ex best friend, uh, you know okay that's gonna press a man's button or or vice versa whatever the situation is. And so if you respond uh, with the emotion of anger, it it does not mean that, uh, that you're a bad person, but it means that through the process of you loving someone, that you don't allow yourself to... Become easily provoked or easily stirred up to do things that are negative. Uh, husband, baby, I love you so much. That's why I hit you. No, that's not true. That's not true biblical love. Because that, you know, if if you loved me that much, you wouldn't have did that. You would have walked away. You would have walked out. And that's important in a relationship. Now, how do you all handle conflict resolution? If you're planning, or if you're planning to marry, and you all don't handle conflict resolution well right now, you need to hold on. Because if you get into a relationship and you don't have a set plan of how you're going to handle your conflicts, I'm going to tell you you're going to have a tough time in your relationship because every time a conflict arises, now it's going to be World War III. And, well, I'm moving. I'm leaving him. He didn't have to talk to me this way. I'm leaving her. She didn't have to talk to me this way. And you're just going to create a big mess for yourselves. And so I want to encourage you, find out a way to deal with conflict. And deal it in a loving manner. Again, I've already told you one way to do that is to sit down and to plan a time during the week to where we're going to deal with things that are are, are issues that, we, you know, small issues. Now, of course, big things, sometimes you need to deal with them in that particular setting. But generally speaking, I want you to be able to understand that you've got to have a set, solid way that both parties agree to. This is how we're going to handle conflict i often say to uh married couples new married couples or couples that uh ha- have been married because you don't want to do that this you can't do what i'm about to tell you before marriage but i say one good way for couples that are married to deal with conflict resolution is the get naked rule and uh and the get naked rule is is every time we want to argue we're just going to get naked and uh and if you stand in there and and a man is angry and his wife starts taking her clothes on now i'm talking to married folks now but you can use this. If you get married, you can use this. Uh, and if the man is standing there and he's angry and the woman starts taking her clothes off, it's going to be very hard for him to be angry about that thing uh, and vice versa. If, 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 if a woman's husband is, 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 you know, taking his clothes off, it's going to be hard for them to be angry to that same degree. And the get naked rule is OK. Every time you want to fight, let's get naked. And you say, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's kind of crazy. I've never heard that. Here's why. You've got to learn how to diffuse things of great um, energy, of great negative energy, and anger, and angry fights, and, and, and arguments. And, you know, people, we had a disagreement. Well, no, y'all were yelling and acting crazy. That's an argument. And so in that, you've got to learn how to diffuse those things and give no place to the devil. And that's one of the things that happens for a lot of couples. And now you need to be practicing that before you're getting married. How are we going to diffuse Situation: If we're angry at each other, how are we going to diffuse this? How are we going to stop this? How am I going to say, "Wait a minute, honey, we can't do this"? How am I going to say, "Wait a minute, uh-uh, this is it"? And for married couples, the naked rule, uh, for those that do it, it, it works for them because you know they they end up having a very nice relationship, and when, and they end up after that anger, they put all that anger and they have sex, and that anger goes through that sex, and it ends up being something. That is a benefit to the relationship. Now, again, that's for married people uh, only. So, uh, so don't you be talking about well, the bishop said that uh, we could. I didn't tell that to no unmarried couple. All right, but you got to find a way where you're at in your relationship right now. You got if you're three months into it, if you're three years into it, if you're 30 days into it, whatever. You need to find a way. How are we going to defuse situations so that we can stop? Calm down and then talk about it rationally. When you talk out of anger and when you talk out of frustration, you will always do things and say things um, that are not the right things to do. And you don't want to do that. All right. Here we go. Love thinks no evil or keeps no account or keeps no record of evil. Well, I did this to you because you did this to me the last time. Well, then that's not true biblical love because you're keeping an account of evil. You're, you're, you're keeping a record of evil. You allow yourself to think negative thoughts about a person, negative thoughts about an individual. And again, you can't give any place to the enemy. The enemy will come in there and he will try to slither in your ear. Well, if she really loved you, she, she wouldn't have put your shoes out like that on the, when it was raining, you know, something stupid. And then you'll start thinking on that thing and meditating on that thing because you didn't take that thought captive and then what will start happening as you'll start developing this evil mentality and this evil look at a person, all because you gave ear to the devil. Remember, we already talked about that one of the previous sessions. So you want to keep no account of evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. Now, we understand that uh, generally speaking, when we hear the term iniquity, iniquity is referring to sin that has been passed down from generation to generation. And we understand that love does not rejoice in that love doesn't rejoice in saying, oh, yeah, he's just acting like this because that's how his daddy was. No, love shouldn't rejoice in that. Oh, she's just drinking because her mom was an alcoholic. Love should not rejoice in that love instead says we're going to pray about this thing and we're going to break the power of whatever this iniquity is that is over their life. Even with blended family situations, love doesn't look at the other at at the spouse's children. And say, "Oh yeah, they're just acting like that because I wasn't around, and yeah, their their daddy was crazy." And so, ooh, I'm glad I, I'm glad that mine. No, that ain't love. That is ridiculous. And you and I hear that so many times in different families and different relationships. That, oh, I'm glad I'm not this. i am Oh, I'm glad I didn't do this. I'm glad that. And that's, that's rejoicing in the iniquity of another. Love should not rejoice in them. Love should not look at the dysfunction of another person that they say they love and then get excited about that or think good thoughts about them not being involved in that. That's not love. Love says if I see someone that I say I love hurting and falling into iniquity, and falling after the error of their father, or after the error of their mother, or what have you, then I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to believe that God's going to break the power of that. But I don't get excited about that. And if you're dealing with someone that does get excited about that, you need to check them out, because you don't want to end up messing around and marrying no Ike. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, And so, uh, let's move on. Love rejoices in the truth. And we understand truth is faith. Um, truth and faith are, are the same thing there one of the greek words for faith is pistis which one of its definitions means truth and so it rejoices in truth it rejoices in faith it rejoices in good things it rejoices in sweetheart it's good to see you using your faith as opposed to oh yeah look she acting crazy no you rejoice in someone using their faith um Bears all things means that it it, it it covers one another. It carries the burdens of one another. It believes all things. It means that you're going to believe in the dreams and the visions of someone that you say you love. And you're not going to be a dream killer and shoot down their dreams and visions every time they bring something to you. If you shoot down somebody's vision every time they bring something to you, you're not operating in love because you're not believing all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. All right. Love never fails. Did you get that? Love never fails. Now, I want you to skip over to uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. Now, watch this. The word pursue means to go after. It means to run after. It means to chase. It means to chase without, watch this, restraint. In other words, you're going after it and you're grabbing it. It means pursue love. So what does that teach us about love? These first thing, love is a decision, which I've said that to you before. These are not emotions. You don't feel in your emotions that I don't want to behave rudely, even though this person did something rude to me. Ooh, I want to get them. OK, your emotion was quite contrary to what your decision is. Does that make some sense? There are times where I don't feel like loving I'm particularly individual because they may have done something or what have you. But you know what? My emotion may be directly in opposition to what my decision is, but my decision has got to outweigh my emotions. Does that make some sense? It has got to be spirit over my mind, not mind over my spirit. And so through that, uh, that's the first thing we find about love is a decision. The second thing we find out about love is that love is something that we will continually to be perfected in as time progresses. Love is something that some people, they get it instantaneously. They've got it instantaneously. And then there are some people that it takes certain time for the char- some of the characteristics of love to develop. Let me do say this. The Bible says if you receive God, then you should receive God's love. And so then we should understand how to love one another because we've received God. Remember, God is love. And so you should have the general understanding of love. Now, there may be certain areas in your life where you have to make adjustments, We have to tweak a little bit. Uh, But generally speaking, you should be able to get and understand the concept of love. It is not acceptable to say, no one taught me how to love, so I don't know how to love. That's a lie. Not when you come into Christ. When you come into Christ, this scripture teaches you how to love. Your relationship with God teaches you how to love. And you know what? Most people that don't have a good time loving people and have trouble loving people is because they really don't believe God loves them. They really believe that God loves them just as long as they're doing all the right things. And so they've got to get an understanding that God loves me. And if he loves me, then I can love people. If you've got a tough time loving people or loving yourself, It is because you have not genuinely received the love of God. You don't really think he loves you. You think he loves you as long as you're doing right, as long as you're doing good, as long as you, you know, you're paying your tithes, as long as you're giving your first fruits and your offering. You think he loves you predicated on that. And while those things are important, God loves you irrespective and irregardless of what you do. Those things determine the quality of life we have here. But God's love will never change for us. And I want you to do this right now. If you all are sitting there together, I want you to grab hands. If you're not, just lift your hands. I want you to pray this. Say, Lord, I choose to receive your love in my life right now. I will not walk after the error of those that I've seen. I will not walk after the error of those that have come before me. I will put my faith in you and I will receive your love. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. You love me enough. And your love will never fail me. I receive it in my heart. You teach me how to love. I forget those things which are behind. And I pursue, I go after love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So uh, if you prayed that prayer, that means you're going to receive the love of Christ in your life. And he'll teach you how to love. Now, if you're dating someone that does not have a good understanding of how to love, they need to pray that prayer and continue to pray that prayer until that manifestation uh, comes into their life in the, in the way that it needs to. But I want to say this, um, that don't rush into a relationship with someone that still has trouble loving. Um, do not enter into a marriage with someone like that. Give it time. If you really love each other, you got time because what's the first thing? It's patient. <laughs> it endures long. Uh, so if you really love someone, then, then you'll wait for them. You ain't got no rush to get married. And so even maybe if you're listening today and you set a date and you're hearing some red flags that you need to work on in your relationship and uh, that are big red flags. And again, I've told you the difference between, uh, you know, vital things and trivial things. Um, but the truth is, is that if there's some vital things that are missing in that relationship, Wait. Do not rush into a marriage. And I know many people, well, you know, we just we feel it's God's timing and no relationship's perfect. And that's right. No relationship is perfect. But if you set yourself up from the beginning with a relationship where you got big gaping holes, I'm telling you, you're going to experience those same things in your marriage. And uh, and then you say, oh, I wish I would have this and I wish I would have waited. And then that'll be all she wrote, because remember, you just did a covenant. Um, so don't do that. All right. First Peter three. First Peter three. Flip over to first Peter three. I want to take you through a little bit more. Of course, in this session, we're talking about the marriage. All right. First Peter three. And let's just start there in verse one. We're just going to look at some of the things that that this book uh, Peter says. Now, I want to just tell you a couple things about Peter. We we do know that Peter uh, was uh, was married because Jesus went to go heal uh, one of his in-laws. And so we do know that Peter was married. Now, through that, uh, Peter would be speaking from not only a scriptural perspective and a spiritual perspective, he can also speak from an experiential perspective, simply because we know he was married. Now, someone like Paul, who wrote the book of Corinthians... And some other books that we're going to look at, someone like Paul, uh, he was not married. Uh, for, to the best information that we have, uh, he was not married. Uh, that does not diminish what it, what he has to say about marriages. And a lot of people think, well, if you ain't married, you can't tell me nothing about marriage. Well, that's not true because the word of God is our source. And see, that's the problem. Most people are basing their relationships off of someone's advice and not God's instruction. And any time you base a relationship off of someone's advice, and you don't base it off of the instruction of God, you don't base it off of the Word of God, again, you're building a relationship on sand. And it will, when a storm comes, it'll get knocked out. Because you won't be able to say, well, let's go to the Bible. You have to say, well, let's call our friend so-and-so and and see what they think. And I'm here to tell you that a friend's opinion is only as good as... As the information that they have and two, the particular bias that they have. If you're calling a friend that likes the man more than he likes the 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 the, the woman in that relationship, well guess who the, the advice is going to be biased to potentially. You get my point? So you build it off of the word of God. Now through that, first Peter three. And let's start in verse one there. Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. What Peter's saying here is, wives, get under the mission of your husband. That's what submission. Just break the word submission down. Submission up under a mission, uh, and through that, it is important. That men understand uh, and clearly grasp the fact that they've got to have a mission for their families. They just can't get married and say, okay, well, we're married now. Everything's good. Peachy keen, everything. We're walking through the roses. No, you got to have a mission for your family. Where are we going? What are we getting ready to do? What is it that you were called to do? As a family, uh, where is it that we're going to serve? Uh, uh, where are we going to go vacation? You got to set a plan for your family. And some people say, "Oh, we'll just live life spontaneous." And that's good. You do need to have some spontaneity in your life. But at the same time, you also need to have some planning in your life. And that's why a lot of relationships fail as well. They don't plan nothing. They just up one day. Oh, okay, honey, let's go on vacation next month. Ain't saved nothing. Ain't planned nothing. Ain't bought no tickets. Ain't looked at anything and i know you're hearing me i you know i'm i'm saying ain't and so excuse me for my uh my my grammar there but through all of that you got a plan husbands have a mission that they can submit to don't get mad at a woman who won't submit if you have no mission all right um that even if Uh, to your own husbands that even if some did not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now that's talking about husbands that were not walking in the things that they knew were appropriate to walk in uh, as men of God. And in a relationship, once you get married, if you find your husband in a situation of disobedience, and you find your husband in a situation where he is not following the Lord, um, they're in that particular situation, you don't have to shove Jesus down his throat. But what you do is that you simply... Um, by your conduct. That means you're loving him. That means you're caring about him. That means that you are you are uh, uh, loving him and that you are, you know, I, I often tell people, don't, don't, a man that does not serve the Lord. And because there's some of you that are, that may be listening to this and you got married before you knew the Lord. And now you're in a relationship and he's a good husband. He just doesn't serve the Lord. And so the truth is, is that he needs to serve the Lord. And so you need to be praying for him, one, that he comes into the knowledge of the Lord. But two, you don't have to throw Jesus down his throat. He will see your excitement. He will see your passion. He will see your zeal for life. He will see all of those great things that are happening with you as a relationship with Christ. And he will say, OK, uh, well, what they over there teaching you at that church? What who is this guy? Cause I because I want to know because, you know, I often tell people. Uh, wives that are, that are maybe with a husband who's a good husband and doesn't serve the lord i often say well here's what you do don't don't throw don't throw another man down his throat don't throw bishop down his throat don't throw your pastor down his throat pastor said the men need to be at church today pastor said bishop said this no don't do that all you do is you go home and you give him the best loving that you can give him. And you do the best and be the best wife that you can be. Again, I'm talking about a husband that's a good husband. Uh, if he's Again, I, I go back to this. If he's abusive or there's some craziness going on there, that's another story. Uh, you're talking about a good husband. You do your part to be the best wife you can be. And through that and through your obedience to the word of God, eventually he'll come into the knowledge of Christ. I remember the first person I ever led to Christ in a, in a, uh, in a, you know, altar call setting. I remember the first, you'll normally remember the, the very first things that you do in life. And, uh, and I remember it was a gentleman who had come, uh, to church sort of sporadically. And, um, you know, this was several years ago, early in my ministry and he had come to church sort of sporadically. And the woman, was faithful in the church. She was a she was a prayer warrior. She was faithful. Her kids were in church. She had them kids there. And then uh, one day, I happened to be preaching, and the um, gentleman came down at the altar call, and he gave his life to the Lord. But she had been praying for years and years and years that he might get saved, and she, and uh, and a situation happened, and troubles got a way of making people turn to the Lord. Situation happened in this man's life and he needed prayer and he needed the Lord to help him. And he said, "I, you know, basically, I'm, I'm tired of running from the Lord. And he gave his life to the Lord. I remember that very first gentleman ever. But through that, his wife followed this scripture from first Peter three. Now, I'm, as I'm talking to you as premarital, again, if you're dealing with someone that doesn't serve the Lord before you get married, they need to serve the Lord. Amen. Don't be saying, "Well, once we get married, things will change." You will not change anyone; only God can. And whatever you accept, God will accept. All right. Two that uh, verse two here. Uh, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, fear just means by respect. All right. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be hidden in the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So now Peter's saying women don't look so wonderful on the outside and be so nasty on the inside. And right now, as even as you're listening to this, examine yourself. If you look great on the outside, you got your Mac and you got your Maybelline and you got your hair. Well, how they said, uh, uh, died fried and laid to the side and all that and you got all that you're looking all beautiful and all that but in your heart it's nasty Peter's saying don't be that way because then that's 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 not a good thing what he's saying is let it be in the hidden person of the heart he's saying let your spirit be gentle Uh, let it be quiet let it know when to speak women have got such a wonderful power And that women are birthers. Nothing is birthed in the earth realm except through a woman and not just physical things, but also spiritual things as well. Most often need the presence of women in order to help it be birthed. Why do more women attend church than men, generally speaking, because it is the birthing. Now, through that, he is saying you've got to be gentle. You've got to know when to use that power and when to step back. And there's so many great examples of women that I can look at that I see on a daily basis of women that they know when to step up and they know when to speak. And then they know when it's uh, it's appropriate to to just shh, hush, be quiet and let God deal with it. Women, I need to say this to you in a relationship. Women are not designated to bring correction to their husband. Wives are not designated. Authority flows up. It never flows down. Or or excuse me, uh, correction always flows down, and it never flows up. So authority flows, you know, that way. And correction. So that means that if you are a... Officer, you can't correct a sergeant. Uh, Why? Because correction comes down. You'd have to be at a higher level to bring correction. And in a a marriage relationship, the purpose and the one that brings correction in that relationship has to be the one that has rulership over the man. That's the man's pastor. That's one that's equal to that man, another husband, and that's, of course, the Lord. The Lord brings correction to that man. You don't have to worry about when you're wrong and you keep doing me wrong and you keep, you know, God's got to bring correction there. Because if you try to bring correction, you will be doing it out of order. Let me say this, man, does that not, that does not give you the right to discount what a woman says to you. You cannot simply say, "Well, you know, you're my wife. You can't tell me nothing." Okay, well, you go mess around because women have great wisdom. Solomon even realized sometimes he needed to hear from his mama, and so, uh, and I'm using that to say a woman, uh, and I'll talk about that mama's boy thing in just a minute. But as a woman, um, you've got to be able to listen to your spouse because she's got wisdom. Now, at the same time, you've got to always be connected to the word of God and connected to Christ. God, what are you saying to do? All right. Because at the same time, Eve, you know, Adam got in trouble because he listened to his wife, even though he knew what she was saying was wrong. Okay, and so you don't want to put yourself in that kind of a situation. And that brings me to another point that I just kind of threw out there in dealing with people where their mothers or their fathers are very involved in their relationships. It is good to have parents supporting a relationship. It is never good to have your parents living in your relationship. I'm going to say that again it's good to have them involved. It's good to have them planning with you for ceremonies and those kinds of things. It's good to have them giving you um, some pointers if they've been married for a long time. Don't take pointers from that, you know, that couple that's been married, you know, you know, eight times and, you know, they've only two years on the eighth marriage. Well, you know, just maybe just hear what they say and chew meat and spit bone. But It is never good to have your parents living your relationship. If your mother and father know everything that's going on inside of your household, you bring the propensity to create trouble. Uh, Because now, if you're dealing with a woman that's always telling her mother and father what's going on in the relationship, now that man feels uncovered. He feels like he's not a leader anymore, that he's been usurped. And if the vice versa, the woman feels like she's lost her position and her place in the relationship with the man and so she feels like well you you know since you always go to your mama for everything well why don't you go to your mama for everything and so through that you got to be mindful of those kind of things parents are great to have uh in 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 a setting And they're great to have as as people that can provide information and advice and have them involved. But it's never good to have them living in your relationship. It's never good that they know everything that's going on. And someone may say, well, Bishop, I'm just close to my parents. That's how we are. That's great. I just tell my mom everything. That's how we are. That's great. But make sure that those things you're doing don't hurt your spouse. And how do you know that? Ask them. When I do this, when I go and I tell this, does that hurt you? Does that provide a problem for you? All right. All right. Uh, verse five. For in this manner in former times, the holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That just means calling him her uh, uh, her uh, overseer or her uh, uh, a ruler and not in the terms of the fact that he was her. He was, uh, you know, he was she was a slave to him. uh, But just in that he had rulership over her. All right. And Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and not uh, afraid with any terror. Verse seven husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. This is important because a lot of men are in relationships today and they are not treating their wives properly and they are not respecting and honoring their wives and treating their wives like Christ would do the church. And how how do I know I'm treating my wife right? Those things we learned from 1 Corinthians 13, those things that we're going to continue to learn today. How do I know that I'm doing that? And quite frankly, she'll tell you now, there's some things that, you know, you know, well, if she wants a brand new Louis Vuitton purse every week and that's not something that's in you all's budget. Well, you know, she can't say, well, you treat me wrong because of that. No, you just that's not where we're at. And so you got to use wisdom through all of that. Now, uh, with that being said, I want to say this. If you are not honoring your wife, that means respecting your wife, listening to your wife, treasuring your wife. As the weaker vessel. She's the weaker vessel. Because she came out of you. Uh, And so. That just simply means. That she is a vessel. That is dependent on you. You are her leader. Does that make some sense? I'm talking to the man. And through that. If you don't honor her. And respect her. And treat her like Christ treats the church. What happens is. God says. Your prayers will not be answered. Didn't he I'll hear them because he just says that, but they'll be hindered. So it's almost like you're praying and you're just, you know, you're just moving your mouth. You're getting good mouth exercise. And so I need to encourage you as you are looking to get into a relationship. If you don't know that you can treat your wife right all the time. Well, you know, sometimes she gets up on there. Well, then you need to wait because God will not answer your prayers. It's right there. Your prayers will be hindered if you don't honor your wife. And that's very important because people sometimes say, I don't know why things aren't working for me. Why is my business working? Why is it just happening? Well, because husbands, if you don't do your part to lead the family, to care for the family, to nurture the family, if you don't do your part, God says your prayers are hindered. Now, here's the truth. Each family is different. And again, I mentioned this to you earlier for some families that nurture may be uh, um, certain activities and for other families that nurture may be different activities each family is different you got to know how do I know what my family likes especially if there's already children involved you talk to them you ask them how do I know if they think I'm mean and rude and nasty you ask them you talk to them and if you think it that's probably enough evidence that, <laughs> that it's probably something you need to stop doing alright right. Eight. finally all of you be of one mind it's in the family be of one mind Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous to one another. That means be nice to one another. Uh, that's so important. In a family situation, your spouse is not your enemy. If you have to view your spouse as the person that you have sex with, but other than that, they're your enemy, that is not a good relationship. All right? And if you're married, you need to fix it. And if you're not married, hold on. All right? That's a big thing. Love is a big thing. You, you you, wonder, Bishop, you keep saying, hold on, in this session. Because love is a big thing. Love is not something you can negotiate with. Love is not something that you can you can set to the side and, well, we're working on that. No, you get that right before you get into that relationship. Because I'm telling you, once you get into it, whatever, I've said it before, whatever you allow before marriage, you will automatically allow at a greater degree in the marriage. Look at verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So in other words, I don't have to get her back if she does something to me, and you don't have to get him back if he does something to you. Uh, No, you don't have to do that because that's not walking in true love. All right. Now, let's flip over to 1 Corinthians 7. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture today in this session. Because I want you to be able to revert back to the scripture in your relationship. All right. First Corinthians chapter number seven. And we're going to kind of scoot through this a little quick here. First Corinthians seven, um, verse three, let's start verse three. Let the husband render to the, his wife the affection due her, and likewise the wife also to the wife to her husband. Now, that means they're due affection. That means, well, you know, well, I'm not really a touchy-feely person. Well, in, in a marriage, your spouse is due affection. That affection belongs to them. That affection goes to them. You know, I I, I heard this saying called the crazy cycle, and I I heard it on a television program. And so I give credit to whoever came up with it. I just don't know who said it. Uh, But they call it the crazy cycle. And what they said is that he feels disrespected and reacts without love. She feels unloved and reacts without respect. And so the crazy cycle keeps going on. And so it just, he feels disrespected, doesn't love. And then she doesn't feel love, so she won't respect him. And so it just keeps cycling and cycling. And you've got to interrupt that. And the way you interrupt that is by walking in love. And look at verse three, it says, let the husband render to the wife the affection due her. So that means I've got to give it to her because it's due to her. Or it's something that's owed to my spouse. I've got to give my spouse affection because they are owed that affection. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own, but the wife does. Did not pri- deprive one another except without consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together against that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, they're saying sexually there. and You can use that scripture in lots of contexts. But uh, I I want to pull it from this one. Sexually, don't deprive one another. Now, once you're married, don't deprive one another, except that you agree for a time. So that means you say, sweetie, okay, this week, you know, it's no sex week because we're fasting, we're praying or or we're doing whatever. And and again, it says that you, you need to do that and talk about those things so that Satan does not tempt one of you. Well, how will he tempt one of you? Remember, I told you earlier in one of the sessions that you're sexual beings, you're sexual creatures, creatures. and so through that, uh, it is very easy for you to be tempted by something that looks good to you, and so all the enemy will do is allow the right person to walk in front of you at the right time, and if you and your spouse have been depriving one another and not communicating about it, something's going to slither in your ear and say, hmm, I wonder, and curiosity kills the cat, all right? Um, verse number six, but I say this is a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. He's just saying that because Paul's gift was was the gift of singleness. And some people will have that gift. Some people you don't need to be in a relationship and you don't need sex and you don't need that. And you're just fine doing the things you need to do. Paul says that worked out good for him because then his first ministry, your first ministry always becomes your family. That's your first ministry. Even for those of you that are pastors and ministers that are listening, your first ministry is your family. And so that means that your your family comes before the church. It means your family comes before your ministry work. It means your family comes before all of those things. Now, of course, pastors are married to the church as well. And so that's a whole nother story, a whole nother tape series, a whole nother CD. All right. Now, uh, let's go to verse number um 8. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried and be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not to the Lord, say, Or not the Lord say if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. So in other words, there uh, again, God's plan is that original plan is that when you get into a marriage, you're not going to divorce. But if you get into a relationship that, again, circumstances present themselves where there's no other option, if you get into that kind of situation, you know, then you have to do what needs to be done. But God's plan was that a wife didn't divorce a husband, a husband didn't divorce his wife. Now, look at verse 12. He says, and Paul is saying this, uh, he's saying that if you're willing to leave, live with an unbeliever, then Paul says, now, this is to those that are already married. Now, not to those of you listening, uh, but to those that are already married um, that say, I am, uh, you know, with someone that's unbeliever. Well, if you're willing to live with a person or willing to settle for something in a marriage that's already existing, God says, whatever you will settle for, he'll he'll settle for. But then you can't turn around and use that as an excuse later on in a relationship. Well, he's not saved and he won't get, uh, you know, and so I'm not going to continue this relationship. Well, but you knew that before you married him. And again, that's why I say to you, try to get as much as you can uh, aligned up front before you enter into that marriage contract, all right? Verse uh, 13, or verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children are going to be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. In other words, if you are in a marriage situation, and your spouse leaves, and they're not a believer, the Bible is telling you, let them go um, uh, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. It means that they're not under the covenant that they made in those cases because God has called us to peace and God does not want you being taken away to foreign gods and other gods. And so if you are in a marriage relationship and an unbeliever walks out of the door, Paul tells you, let him leave. Don't chase after him. Let him go. All right. Verse 16 for how do you know O wife, whether or not you will save your husband? Or how do you know a husband whether you will save your wife? And that's so important again because you meet so many. I meet so many people that they just, they just want to be saviors, and they want to save people, and I want to do my best to you know to save him. And you know oh, I've been praying, and this, and that's great. But you're not the savior. Only God can save, and only people that are ready to walk into a new relationship with Him can do so. Does that make some sense? You can pray till you're blue in the face, but unless they're ready to do that. Uh, nothing's going to take place. I want you to flip over real quick to Ephesians 5. Flip over real quick to Ephesians 5. Real quick, Ephesians 5. Lots of these things we've already studied. I just want you to know where they're at in Scripture so that you can revert back to them. Ephesians 5, and go down to verse number 17. Uh, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, So you need to understand what the will of the Lord is pertaining to your family. That means fathers need to spend time with their kids. Mothers need to spend time with their kids. Husbands need to spend time with their wives. Don't allow stupid things to separate the family. And do not be drunk without, uh, with wine, which is in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart for the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, our father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Watch it. W- wives, submit to your own husbands. That's to the Lord. Husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That means, again, there's no secrets. There's no, well, my life and his life. There's one life. You know, it's like that old soap one life to live. There's one life to live now once you come into a marriage relationship. All right? Husbands, love your, uh, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That just simply says, husbands, you are to cleanse and pray over your family daily. And you are to sanctify or cleanse them with the speaking of the word over them. You are to speak good things over them, not negative things. Does that make some sense? 27 that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy without blemish husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself if you are a selfish man you will be a bad husband say it again if you are a selfish man you will be a bad husband the only way to have a good marriage relationship and a good family is that people in the family are not selfish Selfish people never are good in relationships because, again, they're always self seeking. They're doing all those things that are contrary to the characteristics of love. And so, if you are selfish, you need to repent for being selfish and then you need to pray and get God's help to stop being selfish. How do I know I'm selfish? Do you always think about what's in it for you and how this is inconveniencing you and how this is messing up your schedule, or are you concerned about your spouse? Are you concerned about the one that you're dating? Are you concerned about your fiancé? Or is it always about, hurry up, girl, you're making me late. Oh, you're doing this to me. You're doing this to me. Okay. Then you're selfish. You need to repent and you need to change. You need to turn back from that. All right. 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and the flesh of his bones. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. All right. You are to love your wife as yourself. Here's what that means. Your wife should be driving a nicer car than you. Uh-oh. Uh oh, Dum da dum dum dum. Didn't hear anybody say anything, even through the CD. I heard, but I didn't, didn't nobody say nothing. Uh, the wife should be driving a nicer car than the husband. Husbands, your wife is a representation of you. She should look good because you would want yourself to look good, and she should look better than you. She is your crown. She is your your jewel. She is she is a gift from God to you. Does that make some sense? And as you are her leader, and as you are her, her 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 husband, as you are all of those things, it's important that you understand that you've got to love her as you love yourself. All right, and let the wife see she respects her husband. Women in marriage, you've got to respect your husband. So maybe he, he, he is going through a tough financial time. That doesn't mean, I was watching a movie the other day and the woman kept saying, well, why don't you get a job? Why don't you get a job? Every time an argument would come up. Well, she wasn't respecting and honoring her husband. And then he, she, he, she expected that he was going to treat her like Christ treated the church. which is just not going to work. There's that crazy cycle again. It doesn't work. And so through that, it is important that that is happening, that respect is happening, coming from the wife, and love is going to the woman. Amen, and vice versa. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that she may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. That's important. Uh, If there's children that are listening to this, they need to understand they've got to obey. And I want to talk about this real quick for those blended family situations. You need to sit down with the parents and the children and you need to come up with a way that things are going to be done in the house. As far as chores, the way things are going to be done in the house, as far as discipline and the way the house is going to be run if discipline for certain children is going to come from a certain person, what have you. The goal is that there needs to be a universal way things are dealt with in that household. You never want to show partiality to children and especially in blended families, because I'm seeing more and more blended families these days in a blended family. What is a blended family? It means you've got children from one or more different relationships Uh, and through, or or not one or more, but more than one uh, relationship. And through that, it is important that there is a universal way that things are going to be dealt with. It is important that you sit down and you talk about discipline. If you say, well, you can't talk to my child, you can't discipline my child, then you're you you, you you're going to create some schisms there in the household. And they've got to be our children um, in that household setting. Now, if you're dealing with teenagers, you're going to be dealing with a little bit different ballgame because now you're trying to introduce a parent into their life. That they've never known before. And you're trying to say now, well, I want you to listen and obey this person. So you've got to sit down and come up with a plan. And the plan has got to be beneficial for everybody. I want to say this. Mothers with children, do not forsake your children for the gaining of a relationship. Do not forsake your children for the gaining of relationship. I've seen mothers do that to their children. Oh, well, I don't care what you think. I don't care if you don't like him. Mama got to have a life too. And we're getting married and we're going to get together. And I don't care what you think. And she forsook her children, which before she got married, those children is what sanctified her. Those children are what redeemed her. The Bible talks in Timothy about how women are redeemed through childbearing. And those children were important to her. And she'll forsake them to get in the relationship. And it happens with fathers as well. Don't forsake. You need to sit down while you're dating, while you're engaged. And if there's children already involved, you need to plan this thing out. Don't leave it up to chance. Don't just think everybody's going to move in one house and everything's going to be okay. Because it's not. Not if you don't plan. You need to talk and you need to come up with a plan that's going to work for your family. Amen. But don't forsake your children. For the sake of I don't want to be lonely anymore, because when you do that, you give place to the devil because the devil knows all I got to do to get them for to forsake their family. Now is send a distraction. You don't want to do that. Now, at the same time, once you're in a marriage relationship, your spouse uh, takes precedence over over everything else. And so you and your spouse have to make sure that you're happy. But again, you don't want to forsake those children. All right. Here's why. Because verse 4 comes up, and you fathers, do not provoke or do not taunt or do not give reason for your children to wrath or do not give reason for your children to be discouraged or do not give reason for your children to hate you or do not give reason for your children to hate God, but bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. And I see this a lot today in households and families as well, that a, a, a father, and notice that it says fathers, because generally speaking, mothers wouldn't do that, generally speaking. Because a mother, they understand they're nurturing, they're caring by nature. That's the general nature of a mother. And so what he is saying here is he's saying to the fathers, he's saying, don't give your children a reason to wrath. Don't give them a reason to leave home early. Don't give them a reason to say, I never want to be like my dad. You've got to be everything that you can be to your children. Because if you're not in a marriage relationship, if you're not, you will provoke them to wrath and then they will hate you. Uh, Yeah, I said it. That's what will happen. They will hate you. And children grow up today hating parents. Maybe some of you are listening right now and you grew up hating your parents. But guess what? You can get delivered and you can release them from that. But you don't want to cause your children to hate you. And the way you do that is you provide a loving, nurturing environment for them. Get involved with what's going on in their life. Know what's happening. All right, because you want to be involved as most and as best you can. In their lives, and you don't want to give them a reason to need to turn to the world. You should, your daughters, fathers. You don't want to give them a reason to have to go seek love from a man outside of the household. Why? Because you give them love, and and that's how that needs to happen. Amen. And again, if if those traits can't be demonstrated before marriage, I'm telling you, they won't be demonstrated after marriage. Now, uh, let's flip over one last scripture. I want to take you to uh, Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 15 and uh, we will finish up our scripture here and then I'm going to give you some practical things to do Colossians three fifteen, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to uh, which also you were called in one body and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts of the Lord send a little familiar from where we just were And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Don't be bitter towards your wives. Don't be bitter towards your spouses. Don't be means don't do it. It means put up a wall that stops it from happening. I refuse to be bitter to my wife. I refuse to be bitter to my husband and so on. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well and pleasing in the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. All right? So I wanted you to see there's, again, some instruction to the family. And, uh, and the way that we follow those instructions is we make decisions to follow those instructions. Now, I want to talk to you real quick uh, about a couple of subjects in, in a marriage relationship that will come up. Now, the first is financial planning. Say it with me, financial planning. All right. Financial planning is very important in a in a premarital situation. It is very important in a premarital situation because, again, many people get into relationships and they don't know fully about the other person. Remember, we talked about that earlier. So in your relationship, you need to plan. Are we going to do? And here are the questions you need to ask. The first thing is you need to know how much money each of you makes. And I encourage you, we've got some resources in our bookstore that can help you with planning for a family's budget and those kinds of things. Go to the website and uh, and get some of those things so that you can you can plan this and write this out. But I want to give you just a kind of an overview of, of how you need to plan your finances if you're planning on getting married. Now, first thing you need to do is you need to say, how much money does each individual make? OK, you need to come up with a total. Now, you're talking about take home. You always want to deal in terms of net because you don't want to deal in terms of something that you don't bring home. Uh does that make some sense. So you want to deal in terms of net. Now, from there, uh, you want to plan and you want to know how much debt do you have? And you want to do that two ways. How much monthly payment debt do you have? And then what is the overall balance of the debt that you have? Okay? You want to look at it from two different ways. You want to know how much is going out. That includes car payments. That includes student loans. That includes uh, collection accounts or whatever. That includes any debts. All right. That are being paid monthly. And then just the total balances of those debts. Now, the next thing you want to do is, has there been any severe financial losses in the past? Has there been a bankruptcy? Has there been a foreclosure? Have there have been those kinds of things. And how are you going to find this information from that credit report that you got and those bills that you've brought together? That's what you want to do. Now, once you get kind of an idea of each individual, where you stand financially, now, as you're planning for a marriage, you need to plan, how are we going to handle our finances? Now, again, this is a step you take once you've you've completed this series of counseling. If your local church offers some counseling, you're dealing with that as well. This is after you've prayed. This is after you've fasted. You're not doing this up front when you meet the person and on the fourth date, you're taking bills and credit reports together. That's not when you're doing this. You're doing this as a final step, normally about two to three months prior to an actual ceremony. And you can do it a little bit earlier than that if you plan your ceremony out, say a year out or what have you. But you don't want to do it too early because things can change. Maybe you listen to these CDs and you'll say, you know what, we're not ready. But if you've already got your money all mixed up and you got joint accounts and all of this, You'll mess yourself up. Let me also say that it is wise that you you don't get joint accounts and those kinds of things until you are married, until you have actually made that that commitment and made that step. Don't be getting joint accounts and buying houses together and all that when you haven't had that ceremony yet. Say, well, we know we're going to get married. We're in love with each other. Okay. I've seen situations where people do that, and they go and they buy property, and they buy stuff, and they buy cars, and then a couple months later, they are You know, well, I don't really want to do this anymore. And now they've got to deal with a financial mess on their hands. Don't do it. All right. So in that financial plan, you want to determine what is our financial outlook going to look like? Are we going to have a joint account where all of our bills are paid from? And you've got a card. I've got a card. You got a checkbook. I got a checkbook. Are we going to have two separate accounts with one joint account where that way we don't have to worry about. Funds, if you spend something and I spend something, um, you know normally, if you're going to do just a single account, it's going to take a lot of planning in order to make that really function very well, uh, and just have one joint account as it relates to your checking account. All right. So it's important that you know how you're going to do that. Normally, that works well. Again, if you've got, you know, an excess of money, if you normally carry, you know, $10,000 plus in your checking account, well, then it may be wise for you to have a joint account. You got to figure out what works for you. I'm just giving you some ideas because what works for one may not work for another. Some people are very good. finances and they will record everything everything to a two dollar and eighty cent charge on a on a debit card and then some couples don't and then they end up at the end of the month with you know four hundred dollars of non-sufficient fees funds uh, or uh, funds fees because they didn't communicate up front before they got married about what our plan is going to be all right you got to have a plan Okay. So are you going to do a single account? Are you going to do two separate accounts and then one joint account where money is contributed to? Uh, You need to figure that out. The other thing you need to figure out is a savings plan. How much money are we going to save? Of course, you need to be tithing and giving first fruits and offerings. So you need to make sure that's included in your synopsis of your financial plan. Then you need to talk about if there's children in the relationship, how are we going to plan and pay for our children's college? Let's plan for that now. Let's not wait. 15 years into the marriage, and they're 18, and they're getting ready to go out to college, and then let's figure that out. No, figure that out before you ever say, I do. Remember, these classes are called before you say, I do. You got it. Now, you need to figure those kinds of things out. Then you need to determine, and I'm going to bring this up because this is somewhat a controversial subject now, prenuptial agreements. I said it. Bishop, do Christians do prenuptial agreements? Well, here's the deal. In the scriptures, uh, when in Hebrew days, when they got married, they actually had literally a contract, and in that contract, it would list out the terms of the marriage. The, the marriage was was more than just we're in love and oh she's so fine and he's so fine. The, that marriage had a lot of things to deal with, contracting, who's paying for what, and what you're agreeing to do, and and those kind of things. And so in that. It was a form of a, not a prenuptial agreement, but it was just a form of a clear written contract of this is what you agree to do. This is what our family agrees to do. And this is what the other family and that other person agrees to do. Of course, because many times in the Hebrew days, those marriages were arranged and they were about families and you had dowries and you had all these different things going on. What I want you to understand is this, is you need to pray if you're a person that is well to do and you've got a lot of money. You need to pray about whether or not you need to be doing a prenuptial agreement. Some people say, well, if we really love each other, then then we wouldn't have to do that. And, and if you want to do a prenuptial agreement, that says that you really don't love me. Well, you know, again, no one ever steps into a marriage saying, I'm going to divorce you in two years. Ah, that's going to be great. No, you wouldn't ever get married. No one steps into something with the worst in mind. But you have to plan and you have to use wisdom. For those things, and you need to pray now generally speaking if you don't if if that 's not something that your spouse is comfortable with, then that 's probably something you you maybe want to lean towards not doing if that 's something your spouse is comfortable with and 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 it 's something that 's important to you that 's maybe something you need to lean at doing again, you need to pray, and you only need to come to a conclusion that 's part of you communicating don 't always look for somebody to tell you yes or no because. From a scriptural perspective, when we looked at love, it didn't say love does not write agreements with one another. Um, Just didn't say that. And so you need to pray and use wisdom and seek God on that. Uh, Because, again, no one ever steps into a marriage thinking, okay, this is going to end in a couple of years. But guess what? Sometimes because people don't plan properly. Now, you're listening to these CDs and I'm sure you're praying and you fasted to see, Lord, is this the person that you'd have me to be with? And if God has said yes to those, your prayers and yes to your fasting, um, then, you know, then then you should be then you should be pretty good. But at the same time, use wisdom on that. And I want to cover that because I know for a lot of Christians, you know, that comes up probably more than any other question nowadays, because we live in such a litigious society. People will sue you for anything these days. And so people are always asking, you know, if I get a prenup and I'm a Christian, am I wrong? And that. My friend has to rest on your individual relationship with your spouse and your relationship with God. But you do need to discuss it before you say I do. All right. Now now that you've looked at your financial situations, you've got a financial plan, you need to also talk about your retirement savings. Do you have a 401k? Do you have an IRA? You need to look at all those different things that are available so you know what's going on. You need to make sure the person that you're dating doesn't have any existing tax debt. Reason being is because if they owe the IRS, you want to make sure that you keep yourself separate from that uh, debt to the IRS. So you need to know about those things. You need to consult a CPA and an attorney if those kinds of things are in play because the laws are different for each state, so on and so forth. But uh, are there pending bankruptcies? Are there pending things going on in a person's finances that I need to know about? And if they are, then you just simply need to look at those things and plan. Talk about it. Communicate about it. Communicate about it. Uh, And that's very important. Well, friends. We're just about an end to this session, uh, and this session, just covering the marriage. So I've showed you in scripture uh, places where you can refer back to for how to conduct the marriage relationship. Some things to con- consistently look for. Also talked about financial planning. Also, we talked about blended families. We've also talked about, and one thing, the last thing I'll talk about here uh, is uh, in housing. You need to determine housing who's going to live with who, who's moving where, Um, who, you know, you got to determine those kinds of things. And man, don't feel like just because you're the man, You got to live in in her house uh, or you got to live in your house. Maybe she's got a house that's paid off and you like, Um, you know, you need to talk about those things. Because remember, after a marriage, there is no me and him. There is no her and I. No, there is just one. There is we. There is us. And so you need to determine those kinds of things up front. You also need to make sure there's not going to be any jealousy. If a woman makes more than the man, man, you shouldn't be jealous over the woman. Matter of fact, that's a great thing. You know, don't allow that to determine or to affect your relationship. But you need to talk about all of those financial aspects in a relationship. And once you do get married, then it's it's wise that you set up those plans that you put into place financially. It's wise that you set up that you uh, set up those plans for housing and those kinds of things. After you get married, that you set those things up. Um, and it's important, um, fellas, if a woman can't submit and be willing to follow your leadership before a relationship it will be difficult to follow after now let me say that because there's a caveat to that uh you must follow what god's instructions are and until you are married the husband the, the man is not the head of the wife but as you are engaged it's important on smaller issues so maybe you all one of the issues that comes up sometimes with couples is well whose church are we going to are we going to my church or your church something you need to talk about and discuss Now, prior to the marriage, there there's no requirement to submit to something like that. That's a big step. That's a big change. The husband can't say, well, if you love me, you want to be with me, you're going to come to my church. Well, because you're not the husband yet. Now, after marriage, that's another thing. But it's something you need to talk about. Whose church are we going to? Are we staying in this state? You need to talk about those things and you need to come up with a solution. And uh, and so, uh, you know, but small things, if she won't let you leave, what restaurant y'all going to eat at? Then you need to watch out for those kinds of things because those things are red flags, and uh, and sometimes if you, especially if you're dating a strong-willed woman, it will be hard for her to understand she doesn't have to be that hard exterior uh, anymore as she's coming into a marriage relationship. Friends, that concludes session three, discussing the marriage.
0: Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator.